All right, I'm going to make a turn here. Um, every week, I always uh, title my sermon, and you might not know that, but um, I do it because it kind of it helps me keep my focus and kind of helps me make sure the content of a sermon just stays together and it's not wandering all over the place. Well, the title for this week's sermon is a little unusual. I've titled this morning's message, A Man's Man. And uh, for those of you who don't know what a man's man is, maybe you've heard of that phrase before, but you're like, what exactly is a man's man? A man's man is simply a man that other men like, they admire, and they respect. And, and I'll explain in a minute why this morning's message is titled that. But um, for a while now, there's, there's been some concern among church leaders like myself right across this country um, about the lack of men in church. And many have even called it a crisis. Uh, the most common number that researchers come up with when it comes to this is that uh, on a typical Sunday in America, 61% of the attenders are women, while 39% are male. And I would say probably in our church, that's pr pretty close to what it would be here as well. Um, this has become such a well-known issue that books have even been written about it, discussing the problem. Um, books with uh, titles like, Why Men Hate Going to Church. Uh, you can go on your Amazon right now, and you'll see that that's a pretty, uh, it's, a, it's a book that's been selling. Um, and in diagnosing the problem, though, people have come up with all sorts of different reasons why this, why this is. Um, some say that, that the church has become feminized and that um, men are uncomfortable singing songs sometimes that have, like, romantic, they describe relationship with God in kind of romantic type ways. They say we need to sing more, like, manly hymns of the church. Um, others say that there needs to be more men's ministry and that we need to just provide men a, an outlet for adventure and risk and challenge. Others say that it's the design of the building. If, if, if church buildings were designed more like hunting lodges, you know, like mount some heads, like dead animals on the walls out there. <laughs> others say the pastor just needs to be more manly, like no more sissy pastors. Pastors just need to, like, drink more beer and smoke cigars and lift weights and shoot guns. I'm not making this stuff up. Like, this is what people are saying. Um, and some of these reasons and solutions might have, might have some merit, but um, there's a bigger reason that men aren't showing up and furthermore aren't interested in Jesus, and it has to do with men having the wrong idea of who Jesus is. They don't see a man's man. They see more of a weak man. They don't see a man they want to follow. And over the next two weeks, so today and next week in this series that we're doing on Jesus, I kind of want to do things a little differently. I want to look at today and next week what Jesus means specifically for men and what Jesus means specifically for women. And so typically the, the rule of thumb is ladies first, but we're going we're gonna to break the rule today, and we're going to uh, speak uh, specifically to men. And that doesn't mean that if you're not here in the room, you're not a man, that this sermon isn't for you. Um, it doesn't mean that you now's the time to pull out your smartphone, ladies, and just zone out for the rest of the morning and check your social media, all that kind of stuff. You know, God has something this week and next week for everybody. And this, this morning, if nothing else, ladies, you're going to get a better understanding of the men in your life, be that your sons or your husbands or your brothers or your dads or whatever, and so, uh, but we're going to take a little bit of a di different direction this week and next week. And the next week, we're going to look into what Jesus specifically means for, 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 for women. And I'm super stoked about that because a lot of times, I won't preach next week's message this morning. We'll go. We'll wait we till next week. But um, 
I don't know the exact ratio of men to women in the, number, in the churches that I've grown up in, but I will say this. As I was just kind of preparing for this week and looking at the different churches that I've been a part of and the, the guys in the church, there really wasn't a lot of men for me growing up as, as in the church um, where I look at a guy and go, I want to be like that guy. Um, there was my dad. My dad's definitely the kind of guy that uh, just earned respect when a tough job needed to be done. My dad would step in there. My dad was Superman to me. I didn't think he was afraid of anything. Um, there was another guy that actually didn't go to my church, um, but I just knew him from a youth convention that I was a part of. His name was Miles McPherson. He used to play for the San Diego Chargers. Then he fell into a cocaine addiction, and through that, he turned to Jesus. And I just remember listening to this guy as a teenager going, I admire that guy. I want to be like, like that guy. Um, there was another guy. His name was Perry. Perry was a police officer in the, the first church that I was on staff on in my early 20s. And this was a guy that uh, he played keyboard on the worship team. Um, I just saw him as being this fearless dude. Um, he had the respect of the whole entire police department that he was a part of. Loved his family. Loved Jesus. One of the best stories, t- storytellers that I've ever met. And I admired him and still do to this day. But as a man... Um, personally, there was one guy that I just wasn't too excited about being like. I knew I was supposed to be like him, but I didn't really have this deep-down desire to really be like him, and that person was Jesus. And to me, he just kind of seemed soft. To me, he kind of seemed somewhat like somewhat of a pushover. And, uh, and a, a lot of that was misconception was just from, like I shared in the first couple weeks of the series, just from the pictures that people had made of him and, and different movies that I'd seen. But he kind of, to me, was the guy that, that maybe felt more at home with the grannies at the quilting club than he did with, with men that were into Harleys and soldiers on the battlefield, you know, those kind of guys. And he really wasn't a man's man kind, kind of guy, which for a guy is a problem. Um, you see, right from the time that, that a little boy learns to walk, they seem to be hardwired for adventure there's something in the soul of a man that longs to be courageous, that longs to be strong. Um, and I know that this isn't always the case with every guy, and the opposite isn't always the case with every woman. We're kind of speaking uh, broadly here. Um, but there are some areas where men and women tend to be different, and this is one of those. I have four daughters, as a lot of you, a lot of you know. And I have one son, all between the ages of 12 and 22. And I don't have many pictures, if any pictures, I don't think I have one, of any of my four daughters as toddlers flexing their muscles in the pictures. I've got a lot of Ethan flexing his muscles when he was a kid. Um, It wasn't my daughters that would spend hours and hours in front of the TV watching Luke Skywalker battle it out with Darth Vader. Um, it It was my son. In fact, one day, and I think I've told this story here before, but one day, he actually, as a three- or four-year-old, he decided to get in on the action, and he decided that he was going to make a sword. We had just bought this, this brand-new 42-inch TV. This was a long time ago, and back in that day, a 42-inch TV was a massive TV. Now it's kind of considered more of a small TV, but back then, it was a massive TV. We had put this money out for this, which was a bit of a stretch for us, and Ethan decided that he was going to take this golf club set that we'd given him, that had those aluminum clubs that had these plastic heads. He broke off one of the plastic heads on one of the drivers, and he had like a three-foot-long sword, and he, he was watching Star Wars and decided to get on one of the battle scenes 
only he was like fighting the bad guy on the TV with his little aluminum sword that was very jagged on the edge and scratches all over the front of our brand new plasma TV. <laughs> yes, we do still love you, Ethan. But um, it's as if boys step into the world, though, needing to prove that they've got what it takes. They want the world to know that they're strong enough. They want to know if they're man enough to face whatever challenges come their way. And so when the Jesus that you learn about as a man doesn't appear to be any of those things. He's soft. He's rosy-cheeked. He's got teased-up blonde hair, sad-eyed, weak man that you see in all these pictures. As a man, it doesn't make you go, okay, I want to follow that guy. But the truth is, Jesus is actually more of a man's man than any other man in all of history. He is bigger, stronger, more fearless, tougher than any dude that you've ever met. And in the church, you know, we tend to focus a lot in the church, myself included, on the kindness of God and the compassion of God and the gentleness of God, the meekness of God, all these kinds of things which are all good and awesome, but we don't tend to focus a lot on the, the masculine side of Jesus. And we're going to go there this morning. Um, right from the very beginning, men liked and admired Jesus. Mark tells us about the time when, um, it, it says this in the book of Mark, how Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those that he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then scripture goes on the list, all the disciples' names. It was 12 men who said, I want to follow that guy. Four were these callous, rugged, um, blue-collar fishermen. Two had a nickname. Uh, they were called the Sons of Thunder. Sounds like they're part of like a biker gang or something. Um, that One was a fearless military man. Another was a hardworking accountant and six other guys that we don't know a whole lot about. But these were men who liked Jesus enough to say, I want to follow that guy. They, they respected him enough to stand beside him, even when their religious leaders were rejecting him. They were men who loved him enough to even one day give their lives for the sake of Jesus. And what is it about Jesus that makes a man want to follow him? I got three things this morning. The first thing is this, and we could list a whole bunch of them, but we just don't have time. First thing is this, is he's not afraid of anything. You know, us men, we tend to gravitate to courage. We see a man who's confident, who doesn't shrink back when there's a potential for pain or a potential for rejection, and we're, we're like, I want that. It, it doesn't matter whether it's the, the, the guy in the high school class, you know that guy who could just talk to any of the girls, and he just didn't seem to have a care in the world. I remember looking at that guy when I was a teenager going, I wish I was like that guy. I want that. Or, or might, might be the guy who, who hits the biggest jump on his skis or the man who takes a difficult job and, and, and just does it. He sticks to it through the, uh, the hard time for the sake of others, maybe his family. We'll follow that guy any day. And Jesus is, is like that. He's just, he's fearless. One time when Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, which was the Jewish house of worship, um, a crowd had gathered. And in that crowd are religious leaders. The, the leaders of the day, leaders who, who hated Jesus. And they were just waiting, waiting for a chance for Jesus to break the rules because they wanted, to, they wanted to take him out. They actually wanted him dead. And it was a situation that would make a lot of guys just kind of lay low for a few years. You know, someone's out to kill you. You're, you're just going to go back, go into hiding, lay low. And does Jesus cower under that pressure? Does he tone down his message? 
not a bit. The Bible says this. It says, one Sabbath, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. This is in Luke 13. And let's just stop you for a minute. So Jesus, Jesus has a dilemma. He, he came to set people free. He came to set this lady free. He cares about her so, so much. But he knows that here in this, this, this building, the religious leaders are, they have these rules around the Sabbath day. One rule, seems like a crazy, crazy rule, but one rule is that you cannot heal on the Sabbath. Big, big, big rule they have. They would consider that work. And so here's Jesus in the synagogue. He, he sees the crippled lady. Over here he sees the religious leaders who have all these rules. And then what does he do? He actually does two things. One, he heals her. And two, he picks a fight. The Bible says, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight how she praised God, the Bible says. And then listen to what happened next. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. And then he goes on to say, there, there are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Because that's how religious leaders talked back in the day. <laughs> and, and when Jesus hears this, does he pull back? Does he go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that you had these rules? Or does he do any of that kind of stuff? No. He is not afraid of anything. In fact, he's already started to stir up the hornet's nest. Now what he's about to do is he's about to take a stick and bash that hornet's nest wide open. He looks at the, the, the leaders, and the Bible says he replied, You hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And then the Bible says, this shamed his enemies. <laughs> but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. There was a reason why they nailed him to the cross. They did not like him. But he's fearless. And then there was, there was another time where he faced down a wild, crazy, naked, demon-possessed man. The man was so terrifying that his community that he lived in, the town that he lived in, they would actually try to chain him up. And they, the Bible says they would chain him up, hand, chains around his hands, chains, chains around his feet, but he would just break the chains every time. The Bible says no one was strong enough to subdue him. So this crazy guy, he lived way out in a, in a graveyard. Now, to most people, you hear about a situation like that, and you're like, okay, I'm going to stay as far away from that situation as I possibly can. But to Jesus, it sounds just like the kind of situation that he came to address. So he goes out of his way to visit this man. And when he does, the Bible says, it says this. It says, when the, men, when the man saw Jesus from a distance, picture this in your mind. He sees Jesus from a distance. The Bible says, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now just think about this for a second. If this is me, we're not making it to the second part of this verse because if I see a wild, naked, crazy guy running full steam towards me, I'm also going to begin running as well, only in the opposite direction of this guy. 
which by the way is how broken men tend to respond to a difficult hard situation rather than stepping with courage we hide we run we head for the hills or in modern terms we we drown ourselves in tv and sports and alcohol or social media we hide but not jesus he's fearless and when the man gets to jesus the bible says that it gets, it gets crazier the man shouted at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god in god's name don't torture me listen this is a frightening situation there's a wild crazy very strong man in front of you yelling at you at the top of their lungs louding or yelling as loud as they can but jesus filled with courage and faith looks into the man's eyes speaks the demon horde and listen to what happens for jesus had said to him come out of this man you impure spirit and then jesus asked the man what is your name the man says my name is legion for we are many it's the demons in the man speaking and he begged jesus again and again not to send them out of the area jesus has this little conversation with the demons then he sends them into a herd of pigs the man set free jesus is not afraid of anything Another reason that men followed him was that he's, he's untamed. He's untamed. You know, the picture that I think a lot, of, a lot of people have of Jesus is that he's this calm, predictable, controllable guy. You know, he's kind of boring. And, and I love what this, this Bible scholar, probably one of the most influential Old Testament Bible scholars of the, the 20th century, is this guy named Walter Brueggemann. He's, he's got a better description of, of Jesus. He's, he describes him as wild, dangerous, unfettered, and free. In other words, he can't be controlled. He's not predictable. He can't and won't be fitted into that neat, tidy, little religious box that we craft for him. Oh, we like to think that we can control him. Stick him in an hour-long church service on a Sunday morning. Maybe give him a minute or two before a, a meal we stick him up on the shelf close by so that when we get in trouble, he's, he's right there. We think that we can control him, but that is not the kind of God he is. Remember the story of Jesus clearing out the temple? It's one of my, as a, as a dude, it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Something about it just grabs me. Jesus, is, he's gone up to the temple, and when he steps into the outer courts of the temple, the Bible says he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So there's a lot going on in the temple. A lot that shouldn't be going on. In short, people have, they've turned the temple into a business. It's become nothing more than a money-making machine, and Jesus has a big, big problem with this, which in 21st century America, where the church brings in more money than it has in any other time in history, it should at the very least put the fear of God in us. And, and Jesus sees this happening, and he has some options here on how to handle the situation. He's got some options. Option number one is he sees there's an issue, and so he puts together a nice little sermon where he talks about generosity and the dangers of greed. Option number two is he could just approach all the merchants that are there, and he could kindly ask them, hey, could you just maybe move your stuff out, out there because, you know, this is my, my father's house, and it's about worship and prayer. There's also option number three. It's the option nobody would pick especially a guy that's supposed to be a religious leader, it, nobody would pick it at all, especially not the guy 
the, the Jesus of the pictures that's just come back from a day at the, 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 the spa and beauty salon. Not that Jesus. The Bible says that in John chapter 2, it says, So he made a whip of, of, out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers everywhere, and he overturned the tables. Think about it. He makes a whip. He takes his time. He looks around on the ground. He finds a leather strip here, a leather strip here, some stones for the ends. He finds a nice wooden handle for the whip that he's making. He carefully ties it together. He's not, like, imp just impulsive here. He's taking time to do all this. And then untamed, wild, unfettered, dangerous Jesus lets loose. Coins are flying everywhere. Animals are running in every direction. Cows are mooing. Birds are flapping their wings. Angry men are yelling at Jesus, yelling to get their animals back. It is a chaotic scene. Now, somebody might hear that and go, I don't know if I want to follow that Jesus. Dangerous? I don't really know if I want to follow wild, dangerous, unfettered, free Jesus. Because it doesn't, maybe for someone to doesn't sound very safe. And you know, he isn't safe, but like C.S. Lewis wrote about in the Chronicles of Narnia, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's so, so good. And you have to understand something about Jesus. If you are a cripple in need of a healing touch, or if you're a demon-possessed man in need of freedom, or a woman caught in adultery needing rescue, or a failure of a fisherman needing a kind restorative word. Jesus is the most tender, compassionate, kind-hearted person there is. But if you are the religious behavior police or evil spirits, whatever, blocking people from the kingdom of God, it's something that you, someone that you need to watch out for. He's untamed. And, and not untamed just for the sake of being untamed. He doesn't tell off the religious leaders just for the fun of it because it's what a man would do he, he, he doesn't storm the temple because he's just an arrogant prick who just has to let off some steam no he does it for reason number three that men follow him because at the end of the day he is fiercely committed to his purpose fiercely committed to his purpose he will move heaven and earth to see that men and women get set free Listen to what, listen to his fierce intention when it comes to his mission. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he's, he's getting ready. He's preparing himself to go to the cross. And he's had his eye on the cross from day one. But here, just before the cross, just before he heads up to Jerusalem, the Bible says in Luke 9, 51, it says, when it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. That's a man doing what he's created to do. He was so fierce in his resolve that when his closest follower, Peter, you know, Peter the fisherman, his buddy, when Peter gets in the way, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God. That is fierce resolve. And then if there was ever any doubt about his fierce devotion to the mission, he takes up his cross, puts it on his bloody back, and carries it as far as his wounded body would let him. And then on that hill, he endures the worst pain and suffering that a man could possibly endure for the sake of the mission. 
fiercely committed to his purpose. Fiercely committed to his purpose. 20 years ago, a, a counselor named John Eldridge wrote a book that literally awakened millions of Christian men to the person of Jesus and also awakened them to the good in their masculinity. And it's no secret that we live in a culture that has emasculated boys and men. Um, the message that men hear over and over and over again is you just need to calm down, you just need to be quiet, you just need to be safe, you need to stop being so rowdy, stop making so much noise, stop getting into dangerous situations, on and on and on and on it goes. In fact, it's even gotten to the place where everything the culture doesn't like about men and masculinity, we just slap the label toxic masculinity on it. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. There, there is a toxic masculinity masculinity out there that God absolutely hates. It's the kind where men will degrade and abuse women. A masculinity where, where men are just self-centered, where they're so insecure, the only way they feel good about themselves is to put on some kind of macho man facade and make everybody else feel bad. But there is a masculinity that is good where men reflect their maker. Who is their maker? According to, to Psalm, the book of Psalms, 24, he's the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Battle. There's a masculinity where men are courageous in the face of evil, where they command respect because they're, they're good and they keep their word, where they protect others rather than hurt them, where they, they stand up for what's right. That's a masculinity that, that is good, that is to be celebrated. John Eldridge, in his book, he's, he spoke to this. And he called the book Wild at Heart. And it struck a chord with, with so many guys that actually sold over 4 million copies. And in the book, he, he talks about how every man has three basic needs. And one of those needs that he says every guy has is, is a battle to fight. They, they have this need. It's inside of every guy, this, this battle to fight. Now, does that look like going into actual warfare? No. Maybe sometimes it will, but they have this, 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 this need to have a, a purpose, a mission, that's bigger than them. But somewhere along the way, what happens, rather than fight that battle, that greater purpose with passion and focus, what do, what do men tend to do? They tend to settle down. They settle down. Maybe they're scared of failing. Maybe they're just too tired. Maybe they just simply forgot what it is that makes their soul come alive, and so they just decided to play it safe. But in the process, what happens is that, that they lose heart. It's what Henry David Thoreau spoke to when he described men saying, saying this. He said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. They're bored. They're disengaged. They're imprisoned in fear and security, just playing it safe. Rather than have the courage to be vulnerable with their wives, they play it safe. Rather than have the courage to take a risk, they shrink back for fear of failure. Rather than step up in their homes, in their communities, in their churches, they shrink back and just settle for a life of quiet desperation. And knowing deep down that they're meant for something more, they're desperate for something greater than safe, comfortable days, but they've just lost their way. They've lost their way. This past week, the world has, uh, has found a new hero. His name is... Vladimir Zelensky. And a lot of you heard that name. He's the president of Ukraine. 
And uh, you might have heard the story about how this last week the U.S. government seeing that this key leader in the, 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 the war that's happening right now, obviously he's in great, great danger as he's there in Ukraine that's under such a heavy attack. And so um, our government, not wanting to risk him being taken out, lose his life, um, wanting him to, to still be able to lead, we, we offered to evacuate him to safety. And Zelensky's response um, has already become the stuff of legends. He says, he said this, he said, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a rifle. I need ammunition, not a rifle. And I got to say this, I've never thought in my entire life about being a mercenary in another country's battle. But I heard that and something in me went, I wonder if I could take a couple weeks out and head over there. I mean, I, don't, I know that's not how it works. I know that's not how it works. I actually said that to Becky, and she's like, don't even think about it. But I thought, okay, there's a man that I will follow in a heartbeat. I'll follow that any day. Here's a man showing other men what it looks like to have courage and strength. And rather than settle for a safe ride, rather than settle for a ride out of there, he's got this fierce resolve to live out, live out his purpose. And as men and women, when we forget what it looks like to have courage, when we forget what it means to live a life with passion, to live life to the full, when we lose our way, when we forget what it's like to be fiercely intentional to the mission and the purpose that Jesus has for us in this life, you know what we need, we need to do? We just need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. I thought about that, that line that this president from Ukraine said. I just thought, you know, that, that is so much like Jesus. Think about it. He could have at any moment as he's hanging there on the cross, he could have, he, he could have radioed up to heaven, hey, I need, I need thousands of angels to come and evacuate me out of the situation right now. What does Jesus do? Because of his great love for us, because of his, his, his commitment to see men and women set free, because he is all about seeing blind eyes open. He's about seeing the oppressed that are in prison, captive, freed. He, he stays. He's like, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. He knew where the fight was, and he paid the highest price for your salvation and for mine. And I don't exactly know how to wrap this up this morning. I'm just praying this week. God, what, what do you, how do you want me to tie this all up in a nice little bow at the end and all that kind of stuff that we tr I try to do every week? And I felt like Jesus was just saying to me, as I was just figuring out how to, how to wrap this up, that there are... And I want to speak to the men for a second this morning. There are men in, in here today, men that are listening online, where you're, you're listening to this going, yeah, at one time that was me. At one time I was gripped with a purpose in life greater than just trying to survive, and it, it had me, but I just settled. Maybe someone else is listening, and you're going, I've never had that. But even just as you're talking about that this morning, Rich, something is stirring inside of me. I don't want to be just about making a paycheck, having a roof over my head, saving up for retirement someday. I want to be gripped by something greater than me. And what Jesus is asking you to do this morning is just is surrender to him, to look to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And I think what, what Jesus wants to do for, for, the, for the men specifically today is help you have a picture of him that maybe you've never had before. Maybe you've just had the picture of him 
as being this pushover. You've just seen him as being this weak guy. You've just seen him as being a guy that just does not have maybe what it takes. Just, he, he just has not been attractive to you. And Jesus wants to this morning just peel back a little bit of his glory, his goodness, his strength, his courage. And some of you guys are here seeing that and something in you is saying, I want to follow that guy. And all he's asking you to do is to put your faith and trust in him and begin to do that. Begin to follow him. Maybe there's somebody else here who has just been in hiding. Like I said earlier on, when 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 a, a broken man is faced with a situation that's difficult, and it, it might be something on the job, it might be a difficult situation at work, it might even be in your your marriage. And you're you're in a situation in your marriage where what God is 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 asking of you to do is He's asking you to wade in and to be vulnerable and to, to, to talk about your feelings, which terrifies a lot of guys. But God's asking you to be courageous enough to be vulnerable with your, your spouse, and you've just gone into hiding. You're like, no, that's just too hard. I don't want to go there. It's, it's just so much easier to get home. Rather than, rather than spend some time with my wife, I would just way rather turn on the TV and just drown that all out. But God is saying, no, follow me in, in my strength, in my courage, with my help wait into that situation. Maybe for someone else, God has a calling on your life. I don't know what it is, but it's a part of his mission. It's a part of what he's about in this world, his kingdom coming, and you just have shirked away, shirked that, that calling. You pushed it away because it was too scary what he was asking you to do. You're like, I, I can't do that. It's, just, it's, it's way easier just to, to play it safe and do what I've known, what I've always been doing. I don't want to take that big step of faith with Jesus. And what he's saying to you today is, hey, you don't have to have the courage. Lean into me and let me be the one who's your courage, be your strength. Have faith and trust in me. One of the things, and we'll wrap with this, one of the things that, that John Eldridge points to in this book, um, Wild at Heart, that I, I, think, I think is pretty true. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you were to ask most men in the room today, who have experienced this, they would say it's true. And probably most men who haven't experienced it would probably say it's true as well. There's, there's really only one place that a man can really kind of get a sense of his masculinity and who he is. It's from another dude. It's from a guy. They need to have someone in their life that believes in them, that is speaking into their life, telling them that they have what it takes. And I, and I know that Probably most men, if they're honest in the room today, would probably say, I've never had that person in my life. Never had it. You could even have grown, grown up in a good home, dad and mom, and even then not have it because you just had a distant dad. Maybe you, you grew up in a home where you didn't have a dad. Your dad just took off a long, long, long time ago. But the, the good news for us as followers of Jesus is that we have a heavenly father who wants to affirm us, who wants to speak into us. We, we come from him. He's, he's the root of this, this family tree. He, he's, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, he wants you to know today that he is pleased with you, that he loves you, that he's for you, that in him you do have what it takes. And this morning, you just need to hear the voice of the Father, a 
affirming you today. As we wrap up, I just want to pray for us and uh, just pray, uh, ask that you join me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for God, for the way that God, you just, you just lead us so well. You show us so well what it, what it means, God, to be um, God, people of faith, God, people of courage, God, people who, who stick to the, the mission and the purpose, God, that you called us to. And God, I want to this morning pray specifically, God, in this moment for, for all the men, God, whether they're in this building or whether they're watching online. God, I pray for all of us men God, if we're honest, God, we probably spend way more time hiding than we do stepping up and living in a place of faith and living in a place of courage. God, it's just so much easier to hide. But God, I pray that something in us would change today as we've looked to you, as we've looked at who you are, as we've looked at how you you weren't afraid to step into a difficult situation. God, I pray that as we've looked to you today, that God, something in us men would have shifted today where we go, okay, I want to be like Jesus. I want to I want to be that person of courage who doesn't who doesn't shrink back in fear, but who in the strength of God Almighty goes forward in, in his his strength and power. God help us to be like you. And God, I also want to pray for the 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 man here today that that Jesus has Lord just been caught up in a life of living for themselves. And Jesus today you're you're asking them to have bigger vision. God, maybe it's for their marriage. Lord, you want to you bring them to a place, God, where they are fighting for that marriage. It's, it's maybe at the, the very, God, just hanging by a thread, but God, today you're, you're calling them, God, to fight for that marriage. And, and I don't know what that looks like, but God, you do. And I pray, God, that as they look to you as, as their, their Lord, that Jesus, you would speak to them and show them what they need to do. Maybe it's a conversation that they need to have that they've been putting off. God, maybe it's something as simple as being vulnerable enough to buy some flowers. God, I don't know what it is, but God, you do. And so God, I pray that you would speak. Maybe for another guy, Lord, they had just, God, you, you've called them as a, as a dad to fight for their family and for their kids. And God, it's just become so much easier, God, just to get lost in sports, lost in work, lost in making money, lost in whatever. And God, today, you're, you're inviting them to follow you. God, take up that, that cause and to begin to fight for their family, to begin being men of prayer who seek your face on behalf of their kids. God, to be, to be men who, who aren't afraid to have that, that hard conversation, whatever it might be. Father, I just want to thank you for that. And God, I also want to just thank you, Lord, for the way that, God, you affirm us. God, us men, God, know what it's like all too well to not have another guy in our lives who's who's affirmed us and who's spoken to us as men. But God, I thank you that, that God, today we can look to our Father in heaven. And God, I thank you that we have a Father in heaven who according to, to Psalm 139 has so, so many good thoughts toward us that they outnumber the sands of the seashore. We have a Father in heaven who looks at us and is pleased. We have a Father in heaven who, who is for us, who's not against us. And God, I pray, Lord, that as men, that, God, we would take to following you and listening to you, God, more than all the other voices that, God, buy for our attention. And, Father, I just want to lift up, God, all the, the ladies that are here today and, and listening. And, 
And God, I don't know exactly what this means for each of them. God, maybe that maybe this morning, God, you just want them to see a side of you that 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 Jesus is good, that's strong. God, you just want them to know that you are fighting for them. God, maybe there's there are guys in their life their lives that 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 need to see this about you. And, and Lord, they just are itching to, to share that with them. God, give them wisdom on how to do that. But Lord, I, I just want to pray, Jesus, that Lord, you would speak to, to the ladies and show us, Lord, what it means to, to follow you as as is the, 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 the Lion of Judah. Guys, thank you so much for your goodness. You are a good, good God. You are strong, and you're good. You are fiercely devoted to your purpose, and you are good. You are untamed, and yet you are good. You are fearless, and yet you're good. Father, we just worship you today because of how good you are. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen, amen, amen. It's been good this morning.